break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 28th of July, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show And we've got plenty for you here in the show, as we always do. Today, we are going to be talking about the rhetoric and the reality behind the very recent Democratic budget deal. Well, clearly they were listening to the punch out in the Senate negotiating rooms yesterday because just after we called out the Democratic leadership for doing nothing to address the problems facing the nation, most notably inflation. Senator Chuck Schumer and Senator Joe Manchin unveiled the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 as the final piece to the Democratic spending proposals for this year. The bottom line here is, well, will it actually reduce inflation? Have to say, that's pretty unclear. The headline measures in the bill actually are not even about inflation, but climate change. And as it concerns climate change, the first question one has to ask, of course, is, does this make a notable contribution to the fight to keep the planet from being destroyed? Kind of, sort of, not really. But it is fair to say that this does keep the climate fight alive. It's forward movement of some type. So let's just start here with inflation. As we pointed out time and time again here on this show, corporate profiteering has played a major role in the inflationary spike we've seen in the past year or so, along with changes to the economy over the past couple years because of the COVID-19 pandemic. As it concerns the issue of profiteering and price gouging, we noted that roughly 54% of every dollar of inflation is in fact due to corporate profits. So a very effective way to address inflation would be to increase taxes and thus decrease the incentive for corporations to jack up prices well beyond increased cost just to pad the bottom line. This Senate Democratic bill here is being presented as a bill that is, quote unquote, increasing taxes. So the question you have to ask, of course, and that you may be asking if you normally listen to the show is, well, hey, will this make a difference in inflation? Well, first and foremost, this is mainly not an increase in the actual tax rates, but the closing of various tax loopholes. The tax increases come in two parts, a minimum corporate tax of 15% on most large corporations. And the second part is closing the so-called carried interest loophole, which is really more of an increase in tax rates on a certain form of personal income for hedge fund managers and private equity titans. Minimum taxes exist basically to prevent the ultra-wealthy either people or corporations from totally gaming the system by putting a floor under their various tax avoidance shenanigans. So rather than raising taxes in a legal sense, it's just limiting the gaming of the system. Corporations will still be able to pay less than the statutory rate of 21%, but will find it pretty difficult to pay less than 15%. Senate Democrats say this will bring in $313 billion over 10 years. So in terms of how this impacts inflation, uh, it's somewhat hard to say, but it could. 
The last comprehensive study, at least the last comprehensive study I've seen done on how corporations are gaming the tax system, examined 379 profitable corporations in the Fortune 500 and found that, on average, they were paying an effective tax rate of 11.3%. Half the companies were paying less than half the statutory rate overall, and also the benefits were concentrated in sectors where inflation has been a factor like energy and motor vehicles. So it's certainly possible that this might restrain some profiteering then. However, there's also the fact that there's still significant scope to pay below the statutory corporate rate, and the 21% rate is far below where it was before the Trump tax cuts of 2017. So how much restraint this might actually cause in corporate price gouging, as long as the conditions allow corporate price gouging, well, it's not 100% clear, but you can't say that it's nil. Closing the carried interest loophole seems less likely to have any real effect in this area, but without a doubt, it should be done. What this loophole does is it allows hedge fund managers and private equity kingpins to have their income taxed as investment as opposed to a salary, which means it gets taxed at the capital gains rate of 20% as opposed to the highest personal rate of 37%. So if you eliminate the carried interest loophole, that means they won't be able to pay this 20% rate on their income. They'll have to pay what everyone else pays on the top rate of income, 37%. According to one estimate, the carried interest loophole basically cuts in half the amount of money these ultra-rich private equity and hedge fund types are paying in personal taxes. So no doubt there are many parts of Wall Street where this will not be very welcome at all, but it's still a limited number of people, so its impact on inflation is probably not much. Other elements of the bill really don't deal directly with inflation. Allegedly, energy costs will go down because of clean energy investments. I mean, you know, okay, I hope so, but that's certainly not a given particularly since utilities and energy in general is a highly monopolized sector, which gives them a lot of scope to keep prices high and raise them and manipulate them in all sorts of ways. There is $300 billion devoted to quote-unquote deficit reduction. This also could be spun as fighting inflation by the mansions of the world who insist that government spending played the key role in sparking inflation. But as we laid out for you comprehensively yesterday on this show, that just isn't true. But okay, let's just assume we aren't always right. Perhaps maybe it will have some effect on inflation, but by our calculations, probably not much. So overall, despite the name, the bill isn't really an aggressive attempt to curb inflation. Now, the other side of this coin is some commentators are starting to argue inflation is already starting to plateau, mainly because some of the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic are changing. Think, for instance, how people were switching from services to goods, buying a Peloton instead of going to the gym. Clearly, not only are more things opening back up, but you're only going to buy but so many Pelotons or cars or whole new furniture sets and appliances. And people who did that last year probably won't repeat the same purchases this year. So that alone should ease some of the supply backlog there and thus ease some of the inflationary pressures. But again, given that prices have been raised well above cost, it's unclear how much of that decrease in inflationary pressures on companies will actually be passed on to you and I as consumers. There's also the fact that the economy may be slowing down to interest rate hikes by the Fed, which again, as we laid out for you yesterday, will do its own work to reduce inflation. So end of the day, it's possible the Democrats' bill, even if it doesn't have a ton of impact, might just have a bit more impact if inflation is already starting to trend downhill a little bit, riding a bike downhill, so to speak. So again, just to conclude on this inflation point, this isn't really an aggressive attempt to curb inflation. It might not have a huge impact, but it is certainly more than what Republicans are proposing, which is essentially nothing. So it could at least pay some political dividends for the Democrats in the fall, particularly if inflation does go down by Election Day and that that doesn't happen in the midst of a significant economic slowdown. Now we turn to the climate provisions. And I'm sure all you want to know is, OK, well, are the Democrats saving the planet? 
Well, as we said in the beginning of this segment, no, not really. But it is forward motion. Bottom line here, the Senate Democrats say their bill will reduce carbon emissions by 40% by 2030. The Biden administration itself has noted that in order to meet the goal of net zero by 2050, that's the bare minimum to meet the U.S. contribution to keeping global temperatures from rising one and a half degrees by the year 2100, that the U.S. would need to reduce emissions by 50 to 52 percent, which the original Democratic climate plan of last year was designed to do. So just right there, it has to be said this plan is behind the eight ball. When you look at the plan in that light, then you can see it's designed basically to capitalize on state, local and private industry efforts around climate and hope that combined that might help get over that 50 to 52 percent goal. The bill is essentially just subsidizing the green energy sector, hoping that the subsidies make the cost of building, installing and operating various clean energy projects more attractive for private and public entities, as well as consumers. Since the investments are limited compared to the need, just remember this $369 billion in proposed spending is significantly less than the $550 billion the Biden administration posed last year and that many experts then thought was inadequate. Clearly, the bill then will go furthest in bolstering efforts in areas where states, localities, and or private businesses are actually already trying to do something. It's not going to be a game changer on its own. For instance, the bill offers a $7,500 tax break on new electric vehicles. So in a state like California, that also has relatively significant tax breaks on electric vehicles. You could get about $14,500 towards a new electric vehicle in certain circumstances. And on top of that, the Senate bill gives $22 billion in free money to the big auto companies to produce electric vehicles. So you can see their goal is, the writers of this bill, that they can hope to juice the electrical vehicle industry and drive deeper emissions in larger, more populated swaths of the country and hope that pushes things further than where this bill might suggest on its face. Similarly, there is $30 billion in grants and loans for states, localities, and utilities. So same principle, right? The utility that has already pledged X amount towards clean energy but isn't doing much might say, well, okay, hey, free money. I will do a little bit more. Same with various states. For instance, in New York State right now, there's a major push being led by Democratic Socialist legislators to force the state to make serious investments in publicly owned clean utilities. A few billion dollars, hey, maybe even a few hundred million, could help projects like that get off the ground and reach scale faster. Same thing can be said for the $10 billion in tax credits to manufacture clean energy production goods. It isn't going to change the industry dynamics majorly, but it may make a company like GE add a line or two in their wind turbine factories, particularly since there's $30 billion in tax credits for producing clean energy. So that might mean some utility is also going to add a few more wind turbines or solar panels to their existing plants. So again, the thrust of the bill is clearly more on the force multiplier side than a real game-changing investment. And again, it actually is, by its own admission, only able to get the U.S. within 10 to 12 percentage point of what 10 to 12 percentage points of what the government says is the bare minimum that needs to be done by 2030. So a huge amount of the bill is basically just putting climate policy out there on a wing and a prayer and hoping for the best. And, you know, that brings us to some deeper points worth addressing about the entire bill. Regardless of inflation, for instance, clearly the U.S. should be increasing taxes on the wealthy just out of pure fairness. They reap the benefits of things primarily done by other people. So really redistributing the wealth, quote unquote, is actually just sending it back to who really deserves it. Why should the guy who owns the construction company make 100 times more than any construction worker when he never drove a nail, for instance? By my calculations, only 13% of corporate profits in, for, in the fourth quarter of 2021 were captured by taxes at all levels. Those profits were, in that quarter alone, by the way, nearly $3 trillion. 
There are various ways of measuring this, but bottom line, it's clear corporations, many of whom pay less than required by law, should pay more. American billionaires have seen their wealth go up 58% during the pandemic to $1.7 trillion for just over 700 people. Workers, of whom there are well over 100 million, have seen wages rise only about 10% during the pandemic. But here's the thing. That billionaire wealth is mainly held in assets, which means it's mainly untaxed. And when it does get taxed, it gets taxed at a lower capital gains rate of 20 some odd percent, which is much lower than the rate on income taxes. All of the increased wages workers get are taxed and at normal income tax rates. So you got to ask yourself, why should Bill Gates and Elon Musk get away with paying a lower percentage of their income in taxes than someone working at Dunkin' Donuts? So in this score... Congress is totally failing. They are expending almost no energy on keeping the ultra-wealthy from essentially looting the country and leaving everyone else to fend for the scraps. Don't forget, 150 million people in the U.S. have at least a little difficulty making ends meet week to week. As for the climate, as for the climate provisions, it's the same basic deal, really. Clearly, climate change is destroying the planet and placing the species at risk of extinction. So while it is all well and good to do something, if the solutions don't meet the scale of the problem... We're in big trouble. The clock is ticking. So at the end of the day, Congress has failed here as well. So while the Democrats make an election year boost from this, and you can always say something's better than nothing, they shouldn't really be getting any credit for doing less than the bare minimum to address the most critical challenges facing the country and its people. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.